0: Please stand for the reading of God's word and turn with me to Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37 through 47. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who are being saved. Uh, May the Lord apply the reading of his word to our hearts. You may be seated.
1: The word community is used a lot in our culture. If you've kind of noticed that, people like to use it. I think it a, has a real positive connotation. There's a sense of, you know, brotherhood when, when it's used, or sisterhood. There's, um, you know, a, an idea of linking arms. There's some, when people apply the word community, there's a, there's a commonality that's there, a fraternity, you know, inclusion. You're, you're part of something maybe that's even a little bit bigger than you. And frequently, people that are a part of a community like to let others know that they're in that community. So they might have stickers. If uh, somebody is um, proud of being in the Apple community, you know, as far as businesses go, they, you know, that Apple knows that. So what do they do? In addition to sending their uh, product that you got, they always make sure that they include their sticker, hoping that you're going to... Proudly demonstrate that you are a part of this Apple community. Or people even have little family figures that look like the Apple symbols because they're in that Apple community. If someone is in a, p- a particular hobby community, you know, if they're hunters, then you know they they like to let people know. They'll put a sticker that has you know uh, the um, elk horns on the back of their their car. Or um, a community can uh, be associated with jobs. Firefighters, you know, will have their union sticker right there on their cars, of course. Um, people buy spe- specific license plates to, to show that they are associated with a particular team in sports. That's their community because they're a part of that team. Reaches you know, unquestionably then into more serious things such as politics and people want to make sure that others know, hey, this is the community within politics that I'm associated with. Um, And then it, uh, of course, goes into ethnicity and into race. Hey, I'm uh, part of a a black community, or they may encourage you, hey, you should go shop at this business because it's a black-owned business, and so we want to support this particular community. And so there are all of these ways to kind of package um, people into or put them into a, a group in that positive sense of calling it a community because there is some form of, of commonality that's there and that they want other people to know. And if you think about it, you go, okay, well, why is it positive? What's, what is it about the word community and being in a community that gives that, that positive flavor? And I think it's because we all have this innate desire to belong, to be a part of something. It's an identity thing. Like, I just, I want to be with these people because this represents something in particular and I want to be represented with that. And so there are many good things. You know, some of those things are, are fine and uh, are good things even in some circumstances to, to be related to or to be associated with. But when we think about the community and we say a Christian community, the biblical design of the Christian community is not just another community, and a long list of communities, and it's not even, I would say, a better option of a community, like, okay, you have this list of communities you could be a part of, and Christ, being in the Christian community trumps that. I would say that the Christian community is a community of people that is entirely different. It They're not even in the same ballpark when we talk about a true and biblical Christian community. In fact, the word, if you've been a Christian for a while, you may have heard this. If there, You know you don't have to have taken a, a Greek class to have heard the word koinonia. Some people name their church, churches after that, koinonia. Koin, and it means fellowship. It means partnership. And we're going to see that that word actually is in the passage, the six verses that we're looking at today. But the sentiment that... Is associated with this whole idea of koinonia is what the other organizations and groups are striving for when they say we are a community. They are longing to be the very thing that a Christian community, a Christian partnership, a Christian fellowship really and legitimately is. And what it is that makes us different that makes the Christian community in a whole different um, ballpark is the fact that we have fellowship in the Spirit. And in fact, in 2 Corinthians, so this is at the end of the letter to the church in Corinth that is authored by Paul, and this is what he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship which in the original language, and the koinonia of the Holy Spirit, be with you all. So he is closing the letter with that sense of partnership, that sense of fellowship. That is how he is putting a benediction onto this letter, saying that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer, you have something that no other community has, You have the fellowship of the Spirit. And then in Philippians chapter 2, it says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, and right there that word participation is koinonia, so you could replace that with any partnership in the Spirit, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Basically, that second verse there that I just read is he's saying, if you have this fellowship, this partnership in the Spirit, if you are in that community, then you are truly fulfilling what a community is. And using his words, that would be being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. I mean, that is community with a capital C. And that can only take place within the confines of those who are filled by the Spirit. And here's the wonderful thing, too, about this particular community. It has nothing to do with race or age or gender. All of those things are included in the Christian community. And in our passage today, right here in Acts 2, we see that uh, leading up to this, we have these men who heard and saw what took place in Pentecost, and we saw that they were cut to the heart and that they repented and received the apostles' word and were baptized. In fact, we know for sure that they're Christians, not only because they were cut to the heart, and not only because they received the apostles' word and were baptized, but it even tells us, so those who received his word and were baptized, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So we're not talking about a Christian community in the sense of, Um, those that look at going to church as, um, well, I've taken a a class on religions, and it's kind of an academic exercise, and I kind of like knowing this stuff, and it it helps me um, intellectually to, to know more about these things, or perhaps it's almost even a a hobby or something that you grew up with. And you're like, well, grandma always took me to church. Mom and dad always took me to church. I'm supposed to be in church. So it's just something that I do. It's part of my routine so that I go. Or maybe it's even a moral exercise. Well, why wouldn't I go to church? I feel better about myself. Um, I'm checking a box. Hey, God, I went to church. Um, uh, and, and so there are all of these reasons that people can go to church and to be Physically or geographically located close to the community to even be in a row where you're sitting between people that are legitimately part of the community without being a part of the community yourself. But when we look at the descriptors that we're going to see in verses 42 to 46, that is not those people. This is a descriptor of those that are truly those that uh, are enjoying a fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And so if you were, you know, if I were to ask you, could you write down, you know, if some, could you write down in a few words, what does it look like to be in in, in a spirit-filled community of believers with other Christians? You know, what would you write? How would you describe what that looks like or maybe what that should look like? And the great news is you don't have to do that because it's laid out for us right here. Um. You know, in a sense, what we have here in verses forty two to forty seven is uh, it's like an apostolic reality show you know is it, we're like looking at how they're actually what's happening, and we can look at this as both descriptive actually and prescriptive. There are things here where it's telling us what was going on at that particular time with these particular people that we know for sure were filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're God's children, and at the same time, we can say, well, how does that apply to us today? And it's divided uh, into three different parts here. In the first couple of verses, it shows us how is it that a true spirit-filled Christian community operates inside the church, within the confines. What does life together for Christians look like as it relates to being inside the church and the first thing you'll notice is that verb the very third word in and they devoted themselves so whatever is about whatever it is that they're about to do that that reflects true living life together within the church they are devoted to it and they're devoted to two things the first of those two things is to the apostles teaching and that seems, that's kind of low-hanging fruit. That's like, you know, that's why you come to church, of course, to glorify God and to hear the word being preached. You say, Lord, you know, speak to me, conform me more to the image of Christ. And that takes place mostly and most effectively during the preaching of God's word. And that's what they are doing here is they are devoting themselves, in other words, submitting themselves to the apostles teaching and i would point out a couple of uh, passages here the first one is romans 6:17 and 18 where it says but thanks be to god that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient so this is describing that these like just like these men here who were cut to the heart have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So these people, these believers, within the confines of the church, because that's where this apostolic teaching is taking place, are committed to that teaching. They they had become obedient from the heart, obedient from the heart, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And that I would also... Uh, point to Second Timothy chapter 1 and verses 13 and 14 that reads 1 Timothy one thirteen and 14. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So you see that Paul is encouraging Timothy to continue to follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So it's that idea of submitting to the accurate biblical teaching of God and guarding that deposit and committing it to your heart. So they devoted themselves, first of all, to this apostolic teaching. And then the second thing that they devoted themselves to would be this idea of koinonia, this fellowship. That is the word there. See, it says and they, uh, in, in Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now, maybe when you've read this or, you know, you've read this several times before, this looks like it's a list, fellowship, breaking bread, prayers. But actually, the latter two there, the breaking, bread, uh, the breaking of bread and the prayers, are a subset of fellowship. So you have that within the church— You have the apostolic teaching that's taking place. They are devoted to that. And they are devoted to koinonia, to fellowship, to being partners, spirit-filled partners, fellowship within the spirit. And what does that look like within the identity of the church, of being of one mind? It involves the breaking of bread and of the prayers. And I would just say, just a second there— if you think about this idea of what they're devoting themselves to reflect on what is the greatest command right Jesus the uh, the, the the um the teacher asked Jesus what is the greatest command and he boiled the, you know boiled the whole thing down love the lord your god with your heart soul mind and strength love your neighbor as yourself and we're seeing this play out right here in this fellowship of believers they, first of all, are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, which I think is a, a reflection of loving God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And now you have this idea of fellowship, which is more of a horizontal plane that takes place, and that looks like the breaking of bread and of prayers. And so when it talks about the breaking of bread, it's ta- talking about a meal. Praise God that in the other room here we got a meal waiting for us after all, after the service is over, that is not the meal that this verse is talking about. This is talking about the Lord's Supper. And one of the ways that we know that is just simply because of the article. Notice it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. This isn't to just general fellowship, to the fellowship, which is made up of the breaking of bread and the prayers. And in fact, just a few verses later, you're going to see that that article is not there when it talks about meals shared among believers that's not within the confines of the church and that then, therefore, is not the Lord's Supper. So when spirit-filled, spirit-filled believers that are partnering together in Within the idea of the church, it involves the breaking of bread. It's talking about the Lord's Supper. And really, it makes complete sense. When we participate in the supper together within the church that takes place on the Lord's day, we are proclaiming the entirety of the gospel. I mean, that is what this is all about. We're remembering the very life of Christ, the perfect life that he lived, the humiliation that he took, the penalty that he paid on our behalf and being crushed for our sins. And then, of course, we remember what that means to us, is that in the future we have a hope, an eternal hope with God. And if all of that is true, then when we come together, how much better of a way could we demonstrate our partnership? And remember within the giving of the Lord's Supper that God, what we say in, in church is fences the table. He doesn't say, hey, come one and come all, come and take. He says, no, 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 you can only come if you're truly one of God's children and you're not living in ongoing unrepentant sin. So if you limit those people, if you exclude that group and you are left with true children of God, that are participating in the breaking of bread, in the supper, there is a fellowship, and the Spirit is present in a special and in a unique way among His children in the church on the Lord's Day, and that is a fellowship that no other organization, no no business, no hobby could ever possibly replicate. And in addition to this, I want to point something out um, from Luke 24... Which is uh, the account of Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and you'll recall. So this is after he's been resurrected, and he's walking with those two guys, and they don't they don't recognize him, and he's walking along with them, and uh, he's like, "Hey guys, well, you know what's happening?" And uh, they're like, "Who? Have you not heard? Where have you been? Who are you know? What's going on?" And so they're they're kind of filling him in a little bit, and then. Uh, let's see here in Luke 24. And remember, um, uh, so at, at verse 27, look what he does. Uh, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, which I would say right there, they're receiving apostolic teaching, but, you know, leveling up a little bit. So, pre, you know, so they're getting that biblical, ac- biblically accurate teaching from Christ, Uh, He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning of himself. And then the next uh, couple of verses. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. So there is something, uh, what I'm saying is that God uses the power of the supper to to, um, draw together to reveal the gospel in a unique way. And then the second thing that makes up the fellowship of believers, the life together within uh, the church is the prayers. Now under the old covenant, there was the habit of God's people, Israel, Jews, to gather together at the temple, and they would join together there to pray and to praise God. Of course, that, they, there they had their own representative, a priest, you know, ultimately a high priest, who would then go in once a year and, and give um, on the Day of Atonement and uh, provide a sacrifice for their sins and all these things. And in Pentecost, right before this, all of that changed. Everything changed, and once God's children received the Spirit, they no longer needed that representation. But what did not change is that the people, the believers themselves, did not stop coming together to pray and to praise God. In fact, we'll look down at Acts chapter 3, the the very first verse. Now, Peter and John. So this is after Pentecost and after Peter and John, for sure, received the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. They were still going to the temple to pray to God corporately. It didn't just, once Pentecost happened, it didn't turn into me in my prayer closet End of story. That's great. That should happen. But in addition to that, there also is something unique in the Christian community among fellowship of believers when we come together and we share our burdens and we come and we pray before the throne of God corporately. Yes, there is for sure a priesthood of all believers, We have that. There's that individual flame, in a sense, that we saw in Acts, earlier in Acts chapter 2. But there is benefit. There is more than benefit. There is glory to God and our benefit in coming together corporately to pray. And this church has a prayer service. That is an opportunity for us to come together and to participate in prayer. That's what we're doing. We're emulating this behavior, this fellowship of believers and what it looks like inside the church. It is absolutely wonderful, and we want to see even more of it when two guys or two ladies get together at a coffee shop, and they're like, here, you know, I need to bear my heart. This is what's going on in my life. And the other person says, wow. And you rejoice with those who rejoice, and you mourn with those who mourn. That is great. It is not the same as praying together on the Lord's Day with the rest of the church. And then we see here in verse 43, um, where it says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So this is speaking to the authority that the apostles apostles were carrying. So obviously those that were the recipients of healings, um, they benefited from that. But the reality is, just like when Jesus healed